read some verses of Scripture as found in Isaiah chapter 30, and we'll commence to read from verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For his princes were at Zoan, and as his ambassadors came to Hanes, they were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them, or be helped, or benefited. But a shame and also our reproach. The burden against the beast of the south, through a land of trouble and anguish, from which came the lioness and the lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches on the back of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore I have called her Rahab Hem Shebeth. And what God is saying, he's saying that the nation of Israel are a people who are trusting in a man to do for them what only God can do. Verse 8. Now go write it before them on a tablet. And note it on a scroll, that for time to come, forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceit. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Therefore, thus said the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this world and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces, he shall not spare, so there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth, or to take water from the system. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. And you said, No, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one, 
At the threat of five ye shall flee, till you are all left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner any more, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right hand, when you turn to the left. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. My title this morning is walking in God's way. Isaiah, no doubt classed among the great prophets of the Old Testament, is facing a challenge, a challenge that seems impossible. He's called upon to minister to a people who have adopted an attitude. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't want to hear anything from God. They want, don't want to be told anything in relationship to they need to change, they need to alter, they need to stop doing this, they should be doing the other. And this is the dilemma that he finds himself in. The period of time is approximately 700 years BC and he works for the Lord up to 760 BC. Isaiah I'm sure as we have read what he has written, was a man frustrated with the situation. It seemed to be, it presented to me, that all his efforts seemed to achieve nothing. It was as his words that he spoke from the Lord were falling on deaf ears. Maybe he felt like sometimes we as preachers feel we're preaching to the back wall and we're getting no response. But that's where he was. And God said to him, No, make a note. Make a record. Tell it as it is. Put it on record. This type of people this nation is. That no one in future will be able to say they weren't that way. They weren't behaving that way. They didn't adopt that attitude. But when they go back to what the word has been written, the evidence will be there to verify what they were like. Well, could Isaiah identify with the writer in Second Chronicles 30 and 8 when it, it, he wrote that these people were a stiff-necked people? His plea in Second Chronicles was that they be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself unto the Lord. But Isaiah wasn't the only one who was frustrated if frustration is the right word to refer to God. God said of this people, as he spoke to Moses, 
Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. In Exodus 32 and 9. And again, he repeats it in Deuteronomy 9 and 13. He says, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And in Deuteronomy 9 and verse 23, we see God adopting an attitude where he's going to destroy the nation. He's had enough with them. As far as he's concerned, they're not prepared to come his way. They're determined to go their own way. And God says, I will destroy the nation and I will start again. And in verse 25 of Deuteronomy 9, we see Moses pleads for the people. It wasn't a short prayer. It wasn't a quick prayer. But for 40 days and 40 nights, he prays unto God. What does he say in verse 26 of Deuteronomy? I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. So Isaiah writes, he tells it as it is, as I thought of it, he writes warts and all. Nothing hid, nothing concealed, nothing camouflaged. He called a spade a spade, and that was the reality of it. And as we have read in chapter 30, he presents to us a nation on a slippery road. A nation who are determined to go one way, and they're not prepared to stop, to think, to turn and go God's way. What does the writer and judges say about such people and such nations? That every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The writer of Proverbs and Proverbs 12 and 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. For the nation, they had forgotten what God said in his commandments that he gave to Moses in Exodus 20, in which God said and clearly defined to the children of Israel, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Not only were they wayward, but we see them facing challenges. For as a nation, they were facing the challenges of other nations rising up against them. But instead of looking to God and putting their confidence in him, they sought help from other nations. They tried to broker alliances. And as you'll see, those who were their partners, those who were in the alliance with them, bit by bit became the enemy. For as you read in Second Chronicles 16, there the Sir- they called upon the Syrians to help them against Judah. In 2 Kings 16, we see the Assyrians are now the enemy, and they call upon the Assyrians to assist them. And then, as we read in 2 Kings, we find the Assyrians are the enemy, and they're now reaching out to Egypt. God says of them in Isaiah 30 and 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear, 
the law of God. In verse 10, we are made aware regarding their treatment of the prophets. They told them to be silent. We don't want to hear what you have to say. If you're going to tell us something that's going to tickle our ears, something that's not going to put us under pressure, something that is going to make us feel good about ourselves and what we're doing and the way we're going, even if you're telling us lies, we're happy with that. And what do we see? Also, that they turned away from what, not only from what the prophets were saying, but in verse 20, it would indicate that the teachers, the preachers, those who presented the word of God, those who presented the law in the temple, those who constantly reminded them of what God's word said, they had pushed them to one side. They didn't want to see them. They didn't want to hear them. They pushed them out of the road, as one would say, out of sight, out of mind. And that was their attitude. And they set about buying alliances. And on this occasion, it was with Egypt. What did they do? They sent donkeys, camels, laden with wealth, gold, silver, precious things to try and buy from a nation what God would have so freely and willingly give them. What does God say in chapter 31 and verse 1? Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. <clears throat> you talk about going back to the dog that bit you. Has the children of Israel forgotten? Have they forgotten their history? Have they forgotten what life was like in Egypt where they were <coughs> pardon me, where they were in slavery? For 400 years? Have they forgotten that the nation of Egypt was the taskmaster <clears throat> that they labored under? And yet we see them going to Egypt, cap in hand, asking for support, asking for help. Truly the nation was in an awful state. How was God going to fulfill his plan through his people, this nation? And we think chiefly, that of the birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah may have looked at the situation. He may have looked at the years of ministry that he had endeavored to bring to the nation. And he may have wondered, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Or is there no hope at all? And yet, what do we read in verse 17? You shall be left as a beacon upon a mountain, as the authorized King James tells us. That statement tells us there was a remnant through which God would fulfill his plan and purpose. There was a remnant, a little group who would call upon God, who will seek his face, who will repent of their sins, who will ask for forgiveness, who will follow God. What does God say? He will be gracious. He will be kind. What does he say when I hear their voice? I will respond. And that he says to them that they will hear a voice from the teacher, from the preacher, from the Lord behind them saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And as I thought of Isaiah 30, as I thought of what he had written, I said to myself, well, Lord, what are you trying to say? 
What message are you bringing to us in 2014? And then I began to realize that if we fast forward from 700 BC to 2014 AC, and we look at what Isaiah has written, will you not agree with me that he has described the situation of the nation in which we find ourselves today? For the world today, they don't want God. They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to hear from the teachers, the preachers, those who present the truth in the word. They don't want anyone telling them, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that. They're trying to sort their own problems out. Like Israel, they are involved in forming alliances. And they're paying vast sums of money to stay in those alliances. Surely as we put our thoughts back to the end of last year and the GB government, and what were they trying to do? They saying the price they were being asked to pay was too high. They were trying to renegotiate the terms of their conditions. They were trying to readjust the situation. And even the talk was of even withdrawing from the agreement altogether. And as we view what is happening in the world today, we may ask, as Isaiah asked in his day, is there any hope for the world? And this morning I can tell you there is hope. The answer is yes. For as there was a remnant in Isaiah's day who would call on God, there is a remnant today. It is the Christian church through whom God will outwork his plan, who will call upon God for help and guidance, and who will maintain the standard and will walk in God's way. Surely the burden of responsibility is heavy, is weighty. And yet this morning we can draw comfort from God's word, which says, as Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the question this morning I would pose for your consideration is this. How do we keep walking in God's way? For we have to acknowledge, do we not, that not all the church is walking in God's way. There are certain areas of the church that have decided to ignore what Scripture says. Or they have endeavored to make Scripture say what it doesn't say. Make it mean what it doesn't mean. They have compromised God's Word. What does God's Word say? Anyone who tries to add to or take away, they will feel the hand of God upon them. For God will judge them. They have gone onto a road, a slippery road of compromising. They compromised last year. The compromises they made last year is not the end. This year will bring more and more. Until eventually they find themselves in a situation, how did I get from A to B? How did I get from where I used to be to where I am today? 
And so I would suggest to you four things for your consideration this morning to keep us as a Christian, to keep us as a Christian fellowship, to keep the Christian church on walking in God's way. Firstly, we need to know whose we are. Not who we are, but whose we are. When God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and promised him a land and he would make of him a great nation, God had great plans for Abraham and for the nation that would come from his loins. We made aware he wrought great things for the nation of Israel. He delivered them from captivity. He brought them through the Red Sea. He destroyed the pursuing Egyptian army. He fed and watered them in the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. Scripture tells us the kings of the nations were in fear and trembling of them. For what does Joshua say in Joshua 5 and 1? And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. The kings of the surrounding nations realized that their God was no match for Israel's God and it filled them with fear and dread. They would give the nation of Israel a wide berth. They would not get involved in a battle with them. And yet after all that, we see that they turned away from God. They forgot God. And it was because they forgot who they were, that they were God's people, God's chosen nation. And as a church, if we are to keep walking after God, if we are to keep following him and walking in God's way, we need to know whose we are. What does Jeremiah say in chapter 1 and 5? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. The psalmist, in similar to the end of thought, says, For thus thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Both Jeremiah and the psalmist declared that they were not here by chance or accident, but by the divine will and plan and purpose of God. We may not be called to be prophets to the nation, but nevertheless, as was Jeremiah, as was the psalmist, we're not here by accident or by chance. You know, for God has purposed that we be here, and he has a divine plan for us. Before our fathers and mothers even thought of us, God knew us. Before our fathers and mothers had even given any consideration to our future life, plans for our life. You know, God not only knew us, but he had planned for our entire life. From our arrival on the scene of time to our departure. 
and everything in between, our salvation, our eternity. One of the greatest difficulties many Christians seem to have is why am I here? They look at the circumstances of their arrival and they look at the circumstances of their upbringing and they say, I am of no use, no benefit. Why am I here? Why was I born? It had been better had I not have been born. For some, they're coping with that statement from their parents, you weren't planned. It was an accident. But I want to tell you this evening, that might have been the situation with their father and mother, but it wasn't the situation with Almighty God. For he knew and he had planned before they were even conceived. And as they're found here this evening, God has a purpose and a plan for them as he has for each and every one of us. What does Jesus say in John 17 and 12? While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of partition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. As I read that verse, I was happy and glad. God, Jesus, is keeping me. He not only has planned for me, he not only has been with me when I have arrived, he has been walking with me every day. Can we grasp the reality of that? Do you know, sometimes I feel if we were <clears throat> privileged to be related to the royal family and the queen was taking an interest in our lives and planning for our future and everything else, boy, we'd be walking on cloud nine. But this morning, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is doing that for us this morning. He hasn't left us to our own devices. He hasn't said, well, you're here, now get on with it. But he was leading, guiding, and directing. This morning, can you say with joy that you're glad you belong to Jesus? Not only glad you belong to Jesus, but the reality is not for the days of time alone, but for all eternity. Let's never forget whose we are this morning. But also we need to know and hear his word. Unlike the children of Israel, we need to hear the word of the Lord. We need to be taught by the Lord. As the prophet Samuel says, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Samuel had a desire to hear the word of God. He had a desire to hear from God. And therein lies the challenge for the church today. Is our ear tuned to hear? Have we a passion? Have we a desire to hear from God? Many people have many passions and desires in the sporting realm and other areas. And I often think if they would just take that passion that they have for material and sporting activities and so on and transfer it into the things of God, how much further on the church, how much further on they would be in the things of God. But also we need to witness for the Lord and we need to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Not just what the people want to hear like the nation of Israel. Luke writing in Acts 4 and 20 says, the faithful will know God's counsel and will declare it all. We also need to walk with God. 
Again, in Samuel, for Samuel 3 and 19, it says that the Lord was with him, that is Samuel, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Surely this morning we can agree, if we are faithful to God, he will prove himself faithful to us. Isaiah in chapter 57 and 15 says, He dwelleth with the humble and the contrite. Again, in Psalm, for Samuel 3 and 21 we read, The Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. The word is the instrument through which we know him. It is the Christian's telephone, and our ears must be attentive to his word. If we would know his mind and will, we cannot know Jesus apart from this. In shutting out his word, the Israelites shut off their appointed means of communication between them and God. What does Jeremiah write in chapter 8 and 9? The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. We need to declare the truth of the word of God with boldness. We may feel like Jeremiah when he said, Behold, I cannot speak. But what did God say to him in Jeremiah 1 and 7? The Lord said unto him, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. But also, we must have faith. The writer in Hebrews has written that verse that we know so well, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For him that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith acknowledges the things unseen and acts as if they were visible. So Noah built an ark. So Moses forsook Egypt. What does Isaiah say in chapter 20 and 29? Blessed is he who hath not seen and yet hath believed. You know, to say, oh, I see, is not the same as, oh, I believe. There is a need of faith if we are to see God's plan fulfilled through his church. What does he say? In Matthew, he says, he cannot do mighty works through us unless we believe. He says, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing shall be impossible. Jesus speaking in Matthew 21 and 22 says, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe, and ye shall receive. Truly, this is either true or it is not true. And if it is true, we can have confidence in God. Yet, if it is true, why is it not our experience? Might Jesus not say to us, O fool and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Let the question be faced. Believe ye that I am able to do this? Can he say to the church what he said to the woman with the issue of blood? 
Great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Without faith, we can do nothing. We must have faith. But we also need to know the way in which we are walking. We need to realize and acknowledge that it is the Lord's way. The nation of Israel wanted to go their way. But we need to realize we need to be going God's way. We need to be following God. If anything, the situation in the nation of Israel should send alarm bells ringing in our head if we're thinking of going that sort of way. It's going on the downward slope. But God wants to take us on the straight and narrow road, the road that will bring blessing and joy to each and every one of us. And the wonderful thing is, is when we're walking in God's way, before we start the journey, he already knows how the journey's going to end. What does the writer in Psalms 91:11 say? For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Again, the writer in Proverbs 29:11 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. We know the verse so well in Jeremiah 29 and 11, where God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has great plans for us. There are many who have approached this year, and their attitude is, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. I have a friend and his favorite statement is, we'll wing it and see what happens. And that used to really frustrate me. And for many, that is their attitude. But you know, that's not God's attitude. God hasn't approached 2014 with an attitude, we'll see what happens, we'll see what unfolds. He has a plan made for every hour, every moment of the day, week, month, and the year. And you know, he has a great plan for each one of us. A plan that he has specially chosen for each one of us. A plan that he has taken into account our abilities, our talents, our skills, our commitment. God matches us up with the right plan. You know, people talk about putting a square peg in a round hole. God doesn't do that. He has plans made for us. He has plans made for his church. And you know the wonderful thing is. He could do it all without us. But he has chosen to use his church. To work through his church. That he may bring to fruition. As we look back at the end of 2014. That all God's plans have been achieved. Fulfilled. Not for our glory. But for his glory. Let's take note. Of what God said to Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was setting off to follow the Lord and to do his bidding. In Jeremiah chapter 1, reading from verse 17. Therefore prepare yourselves, yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. 
For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, said the Lord, to deliver you. The task may be great. It may be challenging. But God has given us that wonderful assurance. He will be with us. And as that, that last verse, verse 19, they will fight against you. But what does God say? They shall not prevail against you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we have that wonderful comfort and assurance that while we're walking in his way, we will hear that voice from behind us saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Thank you.